Welcome to the Books and Black Coffee Podcast with two of your favorite thermophilic bibliophiles. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Akala's natives. So it'll be an exploration of its different themes, things that we can learn, things that we can learn from communities, from life, from experiences that are different from ours. Um, the best opportunity to learn is through your experiences and the lived experiences of others. It helps us to get a more rounded view of how life is outside of our windows, outside of our doors, our communities, and enables us to understand that our experiences do not make somebody else's valid or more important, but they're all just part of living and life. And the experiences that other people have do not invalidate our experiences or how we've navigated this world or the issues or the problems or the successes that we've had. Empowerment, V. Empowerment. That's the word that comes to my mind when I think about this book. Um, I can't remember exactly where I was in my life or mental space when I read this book. But I feel like it's the kind of book that I've been needing to read ever since I was a kid or ever since I was a teenager. And just so we're clear, and just so for anyone who kind of hears the term and doesn't really know what it means, why it's important, or what it is. Um, I wanted to ask you, V, what does empowerment mean to you? And why do you think it's important? Empowerment comes in several forms. I think it's a journey from education, um, whether that's a tool from something you read, something you hear, a community that you're part of that validates your experience. Um, Voices in places of power or places of influence or authority that tell you that where you are, how you feel, what you've been through are all valid. I think it's a journey. Um, I think at its core, it's a discovery that, you know, I deserve to be here. I deserve to exist. I deserve to walk and talk and and be, just be uh, without apology. Oh, yeah, V, something that you just said, uh, a discovery, because that's exactly what it is. I firmly believe that we all have this incredible power within us um, just waiting to be discovered. And it's about giving yourselves or yourself the tools to dig away the layers until you reach the, the source of treasure. So when I said this book was a book that I feel like I've needed to read since I was a young kid um and it's exactly because of that uh empowerment and that it helped me with the discovery of the inner power that each individual has especially as a black male living in Britain when I think about my years growing up and my inspirational figures and the people that I looked up to and the people that I thought oh I could do that one day who look like me or who have shared experience with me or who may think the same as me. It's a very limited number of other black men that you see in that. And of course we could say race shouldn't play a part in who motivates us or what motivates us. And of course that should be the ideal. That's what we are all here trying to achieve. When we talk about equality and equity, this is all we're trying to achieve, but unfortunately we're not there. So for young black males, my experience included the source of inspiration of 
what your perceived glass ceiling is, is largely through a narrative that you don't control and largely through a single-sided history. And this book, to me, presented history and facts because, as you all know, I'm an engineer, so I need me some data. It presents all of that in a way that empowered me to realise that actually that internal voice and that internal narrative, the limits you say to yourself, like when I think, RT, oh, you could be X and X or you could achieve this, that little voice inside that says to you, uh, but could you really? Like, have you got any examples of anyone similar to you doing something like that? How do you know you'll be any good at it? How do you know you know what you're doing? You know, if your ancestors couldn't do this, what makes you the special one? All those kind of voices in your head it challenges those as a black male. And that's why I say I needed this book when I was younger, because, you know, from learning um, what was going on on the African continent, I was born in Zimbabwe, so a large part of my culture and tradition is based there. And crazy facts like the there were Western Africans in the US way before Columbus. Like when he got there, the Africans that were there were the ones that showed him around the the land. And as a kid, maybe you think that history is kind of like, oh, well, does it really matter who got there first? Like, all we're talking about is the land in question or what's been achieved or discovered, in inverted commas. But again, just that source of when kids are dreaming of what they want to do or what can be achieved, it's so important that there's examples in history of people similar to you in whatever capacity that have done it in the past. And on that note of history another narrative or another perspective that the book challenges or that the book highlights because it's not necessarily challenging but the book highlights the fact that when we think about black history in modern terms and in modern circles it usually starts from about the 1800s where the northern hemisphere discovered africa and that's where the history started and then anything before that is kind of ancient history and it's it's reserved for the people who you know, like Egyptologists or whatever, who want to specifically know information about different parts of ancient history. But that ancient history is empowering to a significant group of people. If it was shared, that knowledge, I think, could change the the social confidence or the imagination of young people of the black community. And for the majority of the black population, our history is taught to begin around the 1800s, like I said, where the Northern Hemisphere came over, took the slaves and did what they did. Now, obviously, before then, there were centuries, thousands of years worth of history that is just not discussed. And it's through finding out things like what was going on in ancient Mesopotamia and the largest university or the largest collection of books and where centres of trade were sent were around swapping books and swapping literature. One of the first universities was also in Africa and people used to travel to Timbuktu to learn and go to university, exactly the same as it is today, where people are like, yo, I've got to go to the States to get a good degree or I've got to study in England because the universities are awesome. Go back 200, 300 years, it was exactly the same with people going to African cities to learn. And when you learn about history like that, you start to question some of the limitations that you put on yourself. Because as someone who grew up in Zimbabwe and moved to the UK, before I started reading, and especially when I read the Carlucks, it gave me concrete evidence and data around some of these things. But you start to question some of the limits that you put on yourself. The subconscious 
position of a lot of the black population is oh I'm descended for I'm descended from slaves or I'm descended from this because that's where the history starts for us. So that's where we are taught that history starts from us. But actually if you go back further and look from where the black population comes from, it really takes off that glass ceiling that we put on ourselves and the things that are achievable. And in a kind of weird way, it sets a bit of an expectation. I mean, that's the reaction that happened with within me. Because when I started learning more, I was kind of like, well, now I can't give myself any excuse about why I'm not achieving things that I want to achieve. Or if I'm naturally not good at things, or if I'm naturally not meant to do things. Because all of that kind of is untrue. It's just stories that we eventually tell ourselves because there's no evidence on the contrary. We have so much to navigate through when we think about the history. And I think this comes within empowerment um, until you have the knowledge that you are more than change. You are more than savages. You are more than the lies and the one-sided views that have been given about history. You begin to see yourself in a new light that within the helix of your DNA is not change. It is the infinite possibilities of intellect and creativity. It is the discovery and the creation of language. It is tongues that spread across lands. It is languages that spread across communities. It is Ebonics. It is slang. It is terms that people use on social media today that originate from us. It is gold hoops. It is braids. It is Bantu knots, it is creativity, it is the infinite possibility of being in existence and making beautiful things out of terrible situations. It is the ability to give birth when death is all that you see, when death is all that you are told is your destiny, your everyday. It is going beyond the walls that have been put up for you and you're told to cage. We're almost like the, uh, I think there's like an, a little insect that they say, uh, I think it's a gnat. If you put it in a jar with a lid for a, an extended period of time and you take that lid off, it will always bounce to the height of where the lid was. And that's been us for generations and years where grandmama didn't go beyond here, so who am I to go beyond? Um, grandpops never survived past this age, so who am I to think that I can do more? Um, my life is destined to the farm, it's destined to a plant, it's destined to whatever everybody else that came before me um, has been subject to or seen. And I think that it's beautiful for us to discover, and I think this is why it's so important to read. Read everything and anything, whether it's the history of Mexico or Timbuktu or Zimbabwe or West or Eastern Africa. Look at foods, look at culture, look at clothing, look at patents. Like I remember learning that the braiding patents that were used back in the times of slavery were routes, escape routes for slaves. And just by looking at the woman's hair, they'd know that this was the corn and that was the corn and this is where you find the slave masters. And look at just that simple creativity based on the need to survive, just the need to ensure that another generation is birthed after this tragedy. I think Akala says it in one of his freestyles, not in the book, but in one of his freestyles, he gives the example of when you take over a race or when you hold a race, the best way to control or keep 
a group of people subjugated is to stop them reading. And that's the first thing, or that's a strategy that all ancient empires used to have. When the when the Romans used to go on their conquests and take over places, they would burn all the libraries, stop people reading books. Because they know that when you take away a group of people's history, they're left, left kind of wondering where they came from or where they're going or what they can achieve or how rich and powerful that history was that can be used to empower them for future change. One of the great things about the book and the way that Akala writes is how he weaves between history and current events or today and allows you to see the kind of synergy in the way things are and the way that things just move in cycles. As an example, in the book, Akala talks a lot about how your environment dictates or heavily influences how you end up behaving or what you consider to be okay or not okay. Or when you live a life that you are just living month to month and you have no time to think about morals or you have no time to think about the bigger picture of things. It forces you to live a life that is completely reactive and that is based on fear. So all of your decisions and all of your actions are just about how to survive. You can't possibly start thinking about how your actions impact the rest of the community, let alone the rest of the population or a group of people. Carla talks a lot about how black communities or when you look at densely populated black areas around the world, it's more evident in the West because we have a lot of news channels and we see it every day. And some of us have lived the experiences. But there's certain parts of London or certain parts of New York where everyone is in that same boat. And that obviously means that crime is going to be high. That obviously means that gangs and knife crime and theft are all going to be super high because everyone is just trying to survive. There's no opportunity for you to think about morals or to think about furthering your education when all of those things will come in years to come, but you've got to put food on the table today or you've got to find a way to pay for your child's school fees today. You can't worry about what's going to happen and come in the years to come. And it's something that kind of stayed with me massively after I read the book, because when we look at statistics or news stories, we only ever see the headline and we only ever see that it is one group of people. Let's say it is black people that are responsible for 70% of knife crime or whatever. We never look at the root or the causes of why that is the case. Because if we put ourselves in similar situations where you have to do some of these things in order to survive, I think we'd be lying if we said we wouldn't. Well, at least I know I would. When I think about these things, I'm always coming from a place of privilege. Like, I'm lucky that I'm able to live a life today that I don't have to worry about survival as the first thing that comes to my mind when I wake up in the morning. But for those perspectives that that is a reality, we must also look for ways to resolve that and not just look at it as that is the part of society that is harmful or dangerous. There is so much to unpack with what you've said, T. And I think just as human beings, it is important that we recognize the differences and the different experiences 
and conditions that people have to live in and live with. It is a constant cycle of reacting to circumstances when you are in those those positions of um, less or less access or reduce access. And you know, I think it's, it's something that goes around the globe in any privileged nation, which is taking away creative programs and community centers from these communities where that was what people had outside of school, um, outside of college or outside of just not being home alone when they have parents that are working their behinds off maybe to pay off college tuitions or um, after school programs or whatever it is or providing just to put food on the tables of their families. And, you know, if we move that from just people who are within a city or a community to people who are all, who are often migrants having to navigate a new country, a new language, a new way of living, a new set of demands and requirements for taking care of themselves and their kids when it comes to health care and school and and just general just well-being. It's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to navigate. And it's important that we make it as easy as we can for these people to be understood and not to be seen as burdens in society, but rather people who have their own lived experiences. And, you know, wherever you can, show compassion because there are several circumstances that lead to somebody being in a situation like that. Um, people don't choose to be um, in that position. People don't choose to live in food deserts. People don't choose to live in certain neighborhoods. I mean, something I can tell you from um, conversation is sometimes you, you live in parts of New York where education is not the best and your parents just about have enough um, money to send you to a different part of New York where it's more privileged school systems, educational systems, and you have this divide where you're like, I'm too ghetto for these city kids, but I'm too city for my ghetto friends when I get back home. And you, on top of the fact that you have these disparities, it affects your identity because you're neither here nor there. You don't fit in with this group. You're too bougie for this group. You're too ghetto for this group. And, you know, it goes beyond just the, the needs that you have to now being something where you're you're trying to navigate the world as this person that's pushing out of what was and what has always been to try and do something better. And we just need to try and make it easier on people who are trying to break out of cycles and systems to navigate within wider society, not because they think they're better than where they're from, but they believe that they deserve better and they want to do better and they want to contribute um, much more to society. A lot of people in the diaspora really suffer from a crisis of identity. I don't know if that's actually what people call it, but having grown up in Zimbabwe, moved to the UK when I was very young, I am way too British, you can tell by my voice, to be considered Zimbabwean when I go back. And I'm not quite British enough because of the way that I look or the experience that I've had to be considered British. And Akala talks a little bit about this in the book, about the black British experience. Um, examples like the Windrush generation or all of those people that came from India or Africa to help rebuild the UK after the wars that are still not quite seen as part of the British culture. And it causes you with real identity conflicts. As a human being, every single one of us needs to feel part of a tribe, 
we are social creatures and cannot survive on our own. I don't think in the history of humanity there's been civilizations that as soon as you're an adult, you dip and go live by yourself. We always live in communities. So exactly like you said, V, not being quite enough of one or the either kind of leaves you in the middle. Um, and again, I think it just points to the importance of the history because we have to just look a little bit further back to realize that we do have a people and we do have a culture of our own in history. Whatever you elect for that to be, just make sure that it is the story that you tell yourself and that makes you feel part of that community. And just a couple of things that I wanted to go back to as well. The, it's a, it was a really popular headline and a really popular news thing when people say black on black crime. And it was only 2022 when I can't remember what I read or what I listened to that burst that bubble for me because in reality, there's no such thing. It's it's a term that's used to just used to kind of associate crime with a group of black people. Because if you think about it, any crime or any wars that have gone on, you never think about it in terms of race. You don't say World War One was a white on white crime, would you? So associating race to crime or anything like that, it doesn't really make sense when you compare it against the history of the world. Um, and also just to go back to the what we were talking about in regard to environments and how that leads people to lead, live certain lives. It's evident even in the UK. I mean, we can think about countries that are further afield, but Akala as a black British male, she considers himself, um, comments a lot on the British landscape and how things are in Britain. Um, and it's also a shared experience, I'm sure, for maybe some of you listening. With the environment, the the economic side of it and the opportunities that are available to you when you live in impoverished areas or areas where there's not much work or in areas where the type of work that you have accessible to you is not enough to pay the bills to feed your family or to do what you want to do with your life, whatever that may be. And it just goes in cycles because what ends up happening, and Akala points to this in the book, is the internal driver within us what motivates us to do changes from fulfillment as a kid. I just want to do stuff that makes me feel great, gives me a rush, and that I feel fulfilled in, to that defensive survival kind of mind state like we spoke about. And when you're in that space, economically, you don't think about how to lift out uh, future generations, how to create wealth within a community or how to create businesses that support other people that are in situations like you. You don't have that opportunity. So also thinking about areas in Britain, like Akala references in the book, there are areas where there's large populations of not only black people, but ethnic minorities. And those areas are, you'll find, are always the areas that have limited employment opportunities. They're always in areas where no businesses really want to invest because of whatever high crime rates and things like that. And it's also about recognizes that when you see communities like this, it's often not, it's not a mistake that the people move there and then all things go downhill. The people are there because they have to be there. There's no other option for them to be there. Like V said, it's not, often it's not a choice that you end up where you are. You kind of just have to be there. So as much as we can talk about morals and and what we need to support these people, it also has to be economic. They're like, as much as it frustrates me to say it, we have to find a way of economically supporting people and taking the pressure off of putting food on the table on the day-to-day. 
and going more towards thinking about how can we make every human life feel fulfilled or feel like they're accomplishing or feel like they're contributing to the bigger picture. Even when we find black people in positions of power, it's often used in our society, it's often viewed in our society as proof that actually, no, if you work hard enough and you just get on with it, you will achieve whatever you want to achieve. But it's another kind of assumption or narrative that Akala challenges in the book because the way he puts it is actually he's just the exception that proves the rule. The fact that you can only point to one or a handful of black men or black women in positions of power really should make you question actually why is it why is it a thing that why is it a thing full stop we should have a diverse mix of everyone in all positions the fact that one person makes it out of a group is pointing to the fact that there's an issue and there's it's not the fault of the group and it's not due to lack of intelligence or lack of effort in most cases it's actually just due to opportunity we could say luck as well but luck and opportunity come very closely linked. And Akala gives examples in the book about conversations that he's had or talks that he's given or experiences that he's had with police or other people in power. Um, Oh yeah, and I think in the book he gives an example when he goes to um, Brazil and he's in the car with the film crew and he's recording his music video. And he apparently nearly got shot because the in Brazil, people who drive cars and like big crews and stuff are usually drug dealers and they usually have weapons on them. And obviously Akala was there just recording his music video. And it wasn't until one of the local Brazilians was there with him that explained to the police, actually, this guy is a music artist that's come to record his video in Brazil, that the police were kind of like, oh, we're sorry, and whatever happened. Luckily, nothing happened. And it just points to the fact that the whether it's malicious or not is, I don't think, is relevant, but the natural stance, even the subconscious programming across the globe on the assumptions that we make about black people is based on that fear or that assumption that a group of people can't possibly be doing this or they can't possibly have achieved this. And what ends up happening is a severe case of imposter syndrome overcomes you. And I've spoken to you about this before, V. Like, I've had it more times in my life than than I can even remember. And every time, it, like, it doesn't get easier. The amount of times that you manage to silence that voice or manage to overcome some of your fears or anxieties, it never gets easier. The situation changes, but you always get that feeling of, should I be here? Do I deserve to be here? And it's compounded massively because I feel not only the pressure to perform and to keep getting promoted or to get a pay rise in order to live that life that I want to, but I also feel as though I am responsible for how other black men in my position are perceived. But what I mean by that is if I fail at a certain project or if I don't achieve something at work, it's very easy for people to be like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, what did you expect having a black guy in that position? It really limits you as a person. And, you know, thankfully I have friends like V and I have a whole group of people who continually remind me of every human's importance and every skill and beautiful part of every human that we need to shine. That we should all shine our light and we shouldn't dim it. But in a lot of cases, it causes severe anxiety for a lot of the black population and it's 
it's a burden that is not fair that we shouldn't have to carry at all but it's ingrained into the social fabric and it's very hard not to even think about these things the damage that does to your psyche is immeasurable because it follows black men into their older years um, past the years when they've stopped working and they're retiring and their grandfathers possibly but there's always those stories and those relived traumas of places they had to be and how they had to perform and how inadequate they felt in the positions that they were rightfully qualified and had worked to show that they were qualified to be in those positions and they were worthy of those jobs. And I think it's really unfair, just like you said, see how, how much weight you have to carry just being in a black man's body. The additional weights that you have in navigating this world with the assumption of maybe stealing something. So somebody clutches their purse a little tighter as you walk by on the street. Um, security following you around the store because of another assumption. Um, and like you said, sometimes in places of higher education, it's being qualified to be on a program or being disqualified because you got a scholarship to study as if you weren't smart enough to get the scholarship that enabled you to have the capacity to complete the program. It's these different factors which almost tell you to apologize for your being in a place that you didn't force or plead to be in, but you showed up, you signed up, and you got a rightful place. And within society, it's sometimes being seen as, you know, why do we have to accommodate you? When really it should be, why should I not be accommodated if I'm not a problem? You know, like I always say with the biology of belief is when we go through these different experiences, if there's another generation, we do pass this off in DNA. And it's this deep-seated trauma that maybe another generation has to deal with that they didn't ask to inherit. So it goes deeper than the lived experience of a black man, a black woman, of environments and experiences that you've had to go through. It's thinking about the effects that this has that not everybody sees, but they see the manifestations of um, should generations live long enough. And for that reason, I think it's important that we give people their rightful place in the society and we treat them as human beings and validate their experiences rather than dismiss them because they're not our lived experience or how we think life should be or we think a certain group is lazy. Who needs to read this book, V? Everybody needs to read this book. Whether you need to be empowered, whether you need to be educated, whether you need to learn how systems, I think everybody, you need to learn how systems have been set up that may not necessarily disadvantage you, but may disadvantage your neighbor. It is exposure to a different set of experiences, whether that's music, culture, education, navigating society, mental effects of having to navigate worlds with certain identities and experiences just gaining an understanding of that. And I guess like T said, for the black men and anybody else that identifies with one or two experiences is to be validated that it's not in your mind. Um, you're not making this up. 
You're not lazy. You're not. You don't need to apologize for being here. Your experience is valid. Um, your journey is valid. And for others who don't get it, maybe this is a little guide for you to at least understand a little bit of that experience and the different things that people have to navigate and possibly see things from a different angle from what headlines have biased your view of certain issues in societies and cities and communities. I think it's for everybody, but in some different way can teach us and empower us. I'm so glad that we got to share this book with you after V and I both read it and then we started talking about these episodes. This was one of the books that we were super excited to have a discussion about and share with you. So I'm super grateful for you listening in. Uh, We hope there's some little gems in there that have opened your mind and are making you think. Um, Definitely recommend this book exactly like V said. Whatever your stance is, if you would just like to learn or are seeking empowerment or are questioning why things are the way they are for a large percentage of the black population, you will absolutely love this book. There's a lot of irony and Akala does a great job of keeping the book on a humorous level. At no point throughout the book did I think what I was reading was too much or too heavy to deal with because Akala has such a great way of explaining what he means through a mixture of humour and of course seriousness when it is required. Let us know what you think about the book when and if you read it. And thank you for joining us on another episode of Books and Black Coffee. Peace.